to continue in our time of worship by going to today's scripture, which comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. There are ESV Bibles uh, under the pews if you're here in person, if you're joining us at home. Feel free to look up the scripture. We will also project it behind me. Sometimes it's a little difficult to read that, though, so you may want to pull up the scripture on your own, or if you have your own Bible or Bible app, you can do that as well. And we ask that uh, for those who are here in person, and if you feel comfortable doing this at home, uh, to please stand as able for the reading of God's word for us. Again, that's Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the lights, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, uh, we are continuing in our sermon series uh, for this semester, um, and, and I know not all of you are in school, but we're, we're kind of thinking about the, 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 the year kind of in these semesters uh, until the end of the year. And um, the, the theme is deep. And we, we're talking about how we can go deeper with the Lord. And we have been using as our uh, kind of metaphor, uh, some, some different metaphors. I mean, as you can see in this picture, we've talked about like, you know, deep water. You know, the waters, that, uh, the waters of life that Jesus wants to bring up within us. Uh, we've been talking about um, the, the, the parable of the sower and the seed, of, of, you know, seeds that are being planted, the Spirit of God being planted deep into our hearts. And last week we talked about how there's the stuff of life that gets in the way of us being able to receive uh, the Spirit of Christ, where if it can get deep into our souls and remain there, that it can bear much fruit. And so uh, one of the things that we have seen in this parable, and it's something that Jesus would say quite often uh, to people, is he says, um, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And so we talked about this last week, that um, you know, maybe there's some of us that are not able to hear. And I, I want to kind of say something today. Um, this is kind of like, for lack of a better way, way to put it, it's a disclaimer for today's message. Um, as we de- delve into the deeper things of our souls and our hearts, it's going to touch sensitive things. If it doesn't, well, for one, uh, maybe we're just not in a position where we can hear, right? And that's okay. But I just want to say this because um, I, I have spoken, you know, different retreats and different places where we start to go really, really deep into, to like, you know, our hearts and things like that. And there is a reason why we hide those things, you know. For some of us, it, it, it's painful, you know. And so I want to give you permission. If it gets a little too intense, you have my permission to just kind of chill out. You have my permission to go get a drink of water, get, get a cup of coffee or something, go for a walk, you know. If you can stand it, right, um, and if it does get uncomfortable, I want to encourage you to remain prayerful, right, and to just, you know, you, you can just keep repeating Jesus, you know. Jesus, I know you're here. Jesus, I know you love me, right, because I, I just want to recognize that there is stuff that we bury it for a reason, 
right? But like we said, right, if we want to go deep, you know, we're going to have to root out some of those things. Our soil, our souls are congested with some of these things that have been embedded in there, and they're choking out the word. They're keeping the spirit of Christ from being able to go deep, right? And so I think, you know, it's just one of those risks, right? As you go deeper, you know, the pressure gets greater. You know, if you know, like, deep sea diving, you know, if you guys remember, uh, I don't know if this is too soon, but they were looking for, like, you know, the, the Titanic remnants, and they had that, like, submarine uh, uh, incident, right, uh, explosion. Or, I, I don't know if it's an underwater explosion, how that works, you know, but, um, yeah, as you go deeper, right, things get more dangerous, you know? You're, you're going to uncharted waters or waters that we don't always reach, and so, yeah, friends, I hope you know it's worth it. We want to go deep. We want to root those things out. And what God is trying to do is he is trying to bring new life to us. And so it's worth it. So, friends, let, let, let's go into uh, today's scripture with that part. And so we are told that thousands of people were coming to Jesus, were gathering together. They were trampling over each other. And then Jesus, while they're doing this, uh, it's a very interesting scene. Like, all these people are like, Jesus, Jesus. And then Jesus just turns to his disciples and starts talking. (laughs) And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So what is Jesus talking about here? So he's saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. And so if you guys know, like leaven oftentimes is yeast, and it is used in bread uh, in order to make the bread rise, right? And so this is an example. Uh, On one side, we've got leavened bread, which gets like nice and fluffy, Um, this bread would be leavened bread, right? It's puffy and it's soft. And unleavened bread would be like, like matzo crackers or flat bread, right? It doesn't rise. It doesn't get as soft and fluffy. And the thing is, is that the way that it works is you're not going to use a ton of yeast. You just use a little bit. And you work it through the dough. And then you just let it sit. And after a while, the yeast will do its thing. And the bread will start to rise, right? And so... Jesus uses this metaphor for the yeast of the Pharisees, the, 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 which he says is hypocrisy. And what he says is, I, I, I think the, the parallel is supposed to be that you may think it's not that big a deal, but that little bit, as it works itself through you, that it is going to show. You're going to know, right? I mean, you can't hide leaven, Right? Like, like, immediately when it goes in, you may not see it. But eventually, you'll be able to tell the difference, right? If you look at leavened bread or unleavened bread, it's not like, hmm, which one is leavened bread? And which one is unleavened bread? It's obvious. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you will be able to tell. Maybe at first, you might be able to fake it. There might be a Pharisee who can act you know, like a holy person or like a follower of Jesus and, you know, they're, they're, they're like kind of like, you know, say the right things or whatever. But over time, you're going to be able to tell, right? It will be obvious. And so he's using this as a way of talking about that 
whatever you try to hide will be revealed. You can't hide it. It's going to come out in your life. And especially with God, God knows what those things are. Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And this is just a principle of our lives, right? A lot of things that we hide. What does that mean? What does it mean hide something? So friends, this is the thing. You don't hide everything that you experience in life. Um, so for most of us, most of the experiences we have in life, you just let go. You forget. Do you ever, like, talk to someone who, like, remembers something that happened, like, years ago, and you completely forgot? When they mention it, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I kind of remember that, but you totally forgot. Maybe for some person. I've actually had, like, like I remember when I was in uh, college, uh, there was this person in the youth group who uh, tried to talk to me about something, and, and I think it was, like, about like this boy that she liked or whatever, and she just like really was like opening her heart to me, you know, uh, because she saw me as like an older brother in the youth group. I think I was like the president of the youth group or something. I wasn't a pastor or anything, but she talked about this dude, and I, I just was like, oh, okay, like, oh, hey, thanks for telling me, cool, you know, and she was really hurt. Years later, she came to me, and she was like, do you remember that time that I talked to you after youth group, and you totally blew me off? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I remember. I, I, I totally didn't remember. I, I just forgot. But for her, what happened? She hid it away. It, it, it got stored in her heart. For me, I forgot. Just poof, let go, right? Just like a lot of experiences. What did you eat for lunch three weeks ago on Tuesday? Do you guys remember? Do you guys remember what you ate for lunch three Tuesdays ago? Does anyone remember? I'll give you guys a mug. You can have an extra LGM mug if you remember. Anyone remember three Tuesdays ago? Quick, quick. Anyone remember without looking it up on your calendar? No. Okay, what if, what if, I don't know, during that meal um, that someone uh, like, like was walking by you and punched you in the face? Okay, that you might have stored away. <laughs> That you might have remembered. I remember. I was eating Jimmy John's, and it was a salami sandwich. I was about to put it in my face, and this guy just walks up to me and punches me in the side of the face. You might remember, right? And then in that case, you store it away. What did you do? You hid it in your heart, right? Now, we don't always do this on purpose. Actually, most of the time, it happens without you even knowing. It's not your will to do it. Think about your childhood. Think about things that happened that were really kind of uh, uh, influential for the rest of your life. It started to shape who you were. A lot of them are negative. Some of them are positive. A lot of them are negative. Maybe there was a time when you're on the, the playground. Some kid came up to you and teased you because your hair looked weird. Or, or they teased you because they, they, they thought your eyes looked like slits. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I remember that. I stored that away. Right? I remember that. Now, that kid may not have remembered it. That kid just, you know, whatever. He's like, here, your eyes look funny. And then, <laughs> he runs off. Didn't get hidden. Right? But for me, it went, mm, it went deep into my heart. And it stayed there. Maybe a couple years later, when I'm in high school or whatever, someone makes fun of my eyes again and then... Boom, I explode. I'm like, 
you shut your face. Or I, I sit there and I cry in my car, right? Why? Why? Because I got hidden in my heart. You guys see that? These things we hold on to, you might think it's hidden, but Jesus says there is nothing hidden that won't be uncovered, right? If you hide it in your heart, it will come out at some point. That's what we're talking about here. Now, you can fake it, and this is where Jesus really comes after the Pharisees, right? And Jesus, by the way, I mean, you guys know Jesus, right? He's loving, he's gentle, he's gracious. I mean, he's the friend of sinners. He's the the friend of prostitutes and the, the outcasts and the tax collectors and all these people that would have been radioactive in their society. No one wanted anything to do with them, and Jesus is eating with them. But you know who Jesus goes after? The religious people. We misunderstand this. We think because we read back into it and we think that Jesus, when he's talking about Pharisees, that they're bad people. They are not. They're just super religious people. In fact, they were the most respected people. They were the ones who were doing it right. They were the ones who followed all of the laws. They're the ones who people would be like, oh, have you met, you know, Rabbi so-and-so? Like, oh, he's like such a wise teacher, such a godly man right? These are the kinds of people, they would have been the pastors of their day, right? Oh, Pastor Steve, look at Pastor Steve. You know, he seems so holy and righteous. I don't know if you guys say that, whatever, whatever. But the example is that those would have been the Pharisees, the people that you look at, and they got it all together. And Jesus would blast these people. He wouldn't blast the obvious sinners, he would blast the religious people. So let's take a look. I just want to show you what Jesus would say. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Some of us, we've heard these kinds of things so much, we're not even impacted by it anymore. But I have to tell you, I don't think anything has changed. I think for a lot of people in the church, we're just like the Pharisees. What did they do? They focused on what was outside, their outer actions, right? When they're at church, when they're at synagogue, they would, you know, say all the right things, right? Clean up their language. Oh, no, no, no. You know, don't cuss. You don't cuss in church, right? You can't say that in church, right? You know, like they clean up their language and, oh, praise God, praise God, you know? And they, they served on the praise team and they were the Bible study teachers, right? And they're the ones who are like, oh, did you read your Bible this week? I read my Bible, right? They had everything. It looked good. Their kids looked good. Their families looked good, right? Like like everything was so cleaned up. And Jesus was like, you guys are blind. It looks good on the outside. But you are focused on the wrong thing. Because what I'm focused on is what is on the inside. Inside, you're greedy, Right? Inside, you're full of self-indulgence. You care so much about yourselves and what you look like. Right? And, and the inside is just completely neglected. Right? Now, friends, there are many people who, um, they hear things like this and they're like, but Pastor Steve, isn't the outside important? Isn't what we do on the outside important? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But look at what Jesus says. This is not me saying it. 
What does he say? What do you go after first? Do you go after the symptoms or the source? Jesus is clearly saying, go after the source. Go after what's inside, right? You guys might have heard um, there's this uh, famous story about a village where there's a river, and one day um, they see a baby just floating down the river, right? It's like in a basket, but they're like, oh my gosh, baby, right? And so, you know, they take the baby and then they care for it. They're like, hey, can someone like watch this baby and can you get it food and, and love it? And so, you know, they give it to a family. And that family cares for the baby. Next day, two babies come down the street. They're like, what the heck, two babies, right? And then so they find someone else to care for these babies. And before you know it, like next day, three babies, next day, four babies, right? And so they start organizing this whole system of like, okay, when the baby comes down, we're going to get them, wrap them in a blanket, and then we'll find a family. We'll have a line of people waiting for, uh, uh, waiting for the babies and then, you know, get it into a good house. And then one day, a, a, a little kid, not a baby, but, you know, a kid a little bit older, comes up, sees the whole line of people waiting for the babies to come down the stream, and the kid goes, where are the babies coming from? <laughs> What are you focused on? What's most important? If you can figure out where the babies are coming from, you can fix the problem. But if you're only worried about the outer stuff, I mean, at some point, it's too late. What happens when 25 babies come down, right? What happens when it's 100 babies, right? So what Jesus is saying is focus on the source. The, the, it's almost like, um, I don't know, just another metaphor. Like, imagine you have a boat. And the boat has sprung a leak inside of the boat, right? And so, like, like as long as you're inside, like, like you're st- standing on the deck of the boat, and you're not worried about what's happening inside, but you see a little bit of water come out of one of the boards on the deck. And you're like, oh, there's a little bit of water. So you get a little rag, and you wipe it off. You're like, okay, good. But inside, if you were to look inside of the boat, you can see the water is filling, Right? It makes no sense, but this is exactly what religious people do. This is what we do. Christians do this. We're only worried about what shows on the outside. We're not worried about the inside. But Jesus, okay, this is what he's saying. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. All right, so I brought a cup, OGM mug, (laughs) and I brought something to clean it, right? So, friends, dishwashing 101, when you wash a dish, how do you wash it? Do you wash it like this? Maybe some of you do, right? But if you stop here and then you hand it, right? Like, I've been using this this mug all week. And uh, I don't know why, but I put raw eggs in here. You know, I also put a little bit of, like, cat food, you know, and just a little bit of dirt, just tiny, tiny, tiny bit of poop, just a little bit. Okay, but I clean the outside really well. All right, would you like this cup? <laughs> would you like this cup? No, right? Nobody wants this cup if you only clean the outside, right? What's the important part? The important part is the inside. But if you clean the inside of the cup, right, that when you're cleaning the inside of the cup, what happens? What is Jesus saying? When you clean the inside of the cup, do you guys see what I'm doing? The outside automatically gets cleaned, right? It almost happens as a course of cleaning the inside. But if you only focus on the outside, you have a gross cup. Does that make sense? 
If you clean the source, if you figure out where the babies are coming from, if you figure out where the leak is coming from inside of the boat, then you will solve the problem on the outside. But the Pharisees, it's not what they're worried about. Why? Well, I don't, I, I'm not exactly sure, but let, let's keep going. Let's keep going and see what Jesus says. So he goes on, right? This is right after it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now we are starting to put the puzzle together. Why do Pharisees not clean the inside? Well, on the inside, it's gross and disgusting. It's full of dead people's bones. It's decaying inside. It's a lot of work to get in there. In many ways, it's much easier to just clean the outside. And by the way, if you clean the outside, then you look good, right? And other people will look at you and be like, oh, you're so righteous. You're so good. Oh, man, you look so shiny. And Jesus is like, I don't care what other people see on the outside. I see you. And inside, you are dead. What are you worried about? Are you worried about looking good or are you worried about the fact that you're dead? Because Jesus, he's worried about the fact that you're dead, right? But in many ways, it's just easier to deal with the outside. And so we've been using this word. It's appeared several times in the passages that we've read. And what what I have found out, it's very interesting. The word hypocrite is one we use all the time. Did you know that Jesus coined the usage of hypocrite the way that we use it? Hippocrates in Greek is just a word for actor, right? And so if you guys know, like, back then, they had, like, Greek, you know, dramas and things like that. And by the way, I, I read up a little bit on these, like, drama masks. Um, I always thought that they used them to connote um, emotion. But actually, what they did was, in the early days, when you would only have a few actors and actresses, uh, they would be playing multiple roles. And so they wore different masks to just show that they were a different person during the thing, right? And so what Jesus is trying to say is that you are an actor. You are acting like someone that you are not, right? You are acting like a different person, right? It's like wearing a mask, like, oh, I'm church Steve. Now I'm family Steve. Now I'm the Steve that hangs out with my friends, right? You're acting like a different person, right? And Jesus, what is he concerned with? He's not concerned with who you are pretending to be. He's concerned with you. He can't save the mask. He can only save you, right? And so Jesus knows that this has become a kind of armor for the the Pharisees. They are blind. They are deceived. They actually think that they're doing it the right way. They're so convinced of their own righteousness that Jesus literally has to yell at them, right? The only ones, the only ones that Jesus uses this really harsh language, you're dead inside. Woe to you. Wake up. Wake up. He doesn't do that to the people who are in obvious sin. He does it to those who are deceived, who have hidden these things. And friends, I think this is what is happening. Those things are hard to deal with, like we said, right? It's messy. All the stuff from your past, all of your insecurities, all of your wounds, all of your trauma, 
I mean, it's going to take years, right? It's going to take a long time. And by the way, once it starts coming out of you, it's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like, oh, man, that, like, like, I'm reliving the past. And that's very unpleasant. So we try to forget. And there are many ways that we try to do this. Some people use substances, right? They drink a lot. You know, they just literally want to forget those things that they experience, right? And then there are some people who deflect, and this is where the Pharisees come in, right? So I can make myself seem better than I am if I compare myself to someone else or get you to focus on someone else. So it's like, you know, the, 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 the story where the Pharisee is praying, and he's praying like, God, thank you for not making me like this tax collector over here. Thank you that I am righteous and not like this traitor of Israel, right? And over there, the tax collector is beating his breast. And he's like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? And Jesus says, who will be justified in the eyes of God? The tax collector who thinks he has it all together, uh, sorry, the Pharisee who thinks he has it all together, and he's comparing himself to the dirty tax collector, or the tax collector who knows, who knows he's a sinner, Jesus says it's obvious. It's the one who really knows that they're not good, that they're not perfect. They don't have it all together. But friends, I got to tell you, it doesn't stop us from doing it. I got to tell you, so many times in the church, I, I hear so many people, they're like, Pastor Steve, I know what you say about like Pharisees and things like that, but honestly, there's just people at church, like, like they're, they're, just, they're just sinning. Can, can you please blast them? Can you please tell them what's up? Can you please just, just set them straight? Please, 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 please. And I'm like, do you know what Jesus was much more concerned about than the people over there? Your own judgment. Your own judgmental heart. That's what he wanted to fix. And maybe, maybe by trying to deflect that, there's something within you that you're ignoring. Right? It's the old distraction trick. Look over there. Look over there. Don't look over here. Don't look at what I'm doing over here. Look at them. Look at them. Man, we have not stopped that. How many times do you see the evangelical church focus on sins and really, really blast sins that they're not struggling with? They're focused on other communities. Oh, those people are so sinful. Right? But Jesus is always looking at your hearts. He wants you, because you're the only one who can work on your own heart. Now, those people are going to have to work on their hearts, too, right? But you need to work on yours. And by the way, friends, neither is, like, the secular world has kind of gone the other direction, right? And basically, it's like, oh, well, if God is love, and if Jesus is love, then nothing we do matters, right? Who cares, that's not what Jesus is saying either, because that's basically giving up. We, we're just kind of like, yeah, this stuff is so messy, and it's so painful that I'm just going to act like it's okay. Do you think Jesus is saying it's okay? He's not saying it's okay, but not for the reasons that the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were using it as a line of judgment, saying, I am better than you. I am righteous in the eyes of God. I can think of myself as higher than you, and I can ignore my own stuff. But Jesus is like, no, there's something else that is happening here. 
So let's take a look at Matthew 9. And again, another piece of the puzzle to see what Jesus is really getting at. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. We already told you, tax collectors were the most despised people in their society. They were traitors of Israel. They were working for Rome, and they were thieves. Oftentimes, they would take more money than, than was warranted, right? And they would keep it for themselves. And so everyone just, they hated the tax collectors. They were like the worst. And Jesus is sitting with them and eating with them, and the Pharisees and the religious people, and pretty much everyone was like, Jesus, what are you doing? Do you know who you're sitting with? Do you know how bad that person is? Do you know how evil they are? Do you understand what they've done to our people? And then there's sinners. Maybe some of those people were prostitutes. Maybe some of those people were the unclean people. They're the worst of the worst. And Jesus is reclining with them. I don't know if you guys know, if you've ever seen pictures of people reclining at table, they weren't sitting at a table politely and had like nice personal space. When you're reclining, oftentimes you're kind of like up against the next person. Sometimes your arm would be on the chest of another person, depending on how crowded that, ta- that room was, right? So imagine that. There's this person who's a traitor, a tax collector. Imagine someone that you think is like the worst possible. And Jesus, the supposed Messiah, this great rabbi, is sitting there and his arm, his, the back of, of Jesus is up against the chest of this tax collector. And they're like, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? How could you be so cozy with them? How could you just hang out with them and eat with them like everything's okay? And so you can understand, right, why they say, They say to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You guys already know, there's not a single person who is righteous in and of themselves who can say they has no sin. Basically, the person who says they have no sin, they have a lot of sin. (laughs) They're hiding. They have a lot of hypocrisy. They have a lot of judgment, right, in their lives. If you think you're without sin, oh, no, 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 right? And Jesus knows that those who think that they're righteous, he's like, you need to wake up, right? I can't convince you of that. (laughs) You're going to need to wake up, right? And so if if you don't have ears to hear, right? Again, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You're not able to hear. You have just become so fixated on making other people look bad. You can't even see your own junk, right? What did Jesus come for? What did Jesus come for? He came for the sick. So we may look at sinful people and say, oh, I can't believe those people. How dare they? How dare they sit there in church? How dare they act like their sins are forgiven and they keep on doing it? Right? And we get so righteous, self-righteous. And Jesus is like, man, I wish you could see the way that I see. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does he mean by that? We come to church and we might think it's a moral test. I need to be good enough to receive God's grace. I need to be good enough to be seen as a leader, as a small group leader, as a praise team leader, as somebody who you can look at and say, oh, See that person? That's a good Christian. That's a good person. And Jesus said, I did not come, right? Like, I don't desire 
mercy. Uh, uh, sorry, I don't <laughs> desire, excuse me. Sacrifice, like you trying to prove that you're so good. I desire mercy. Why? Because Jesus is mercy. Jesus looks at these people and he doesn't see a screw-up or a failure or someone who's not measuring up. He sees someone who's sick. What happens when we take all of those things and we bury them in our hearts? Jesus already told us, it's going to come back up. It's going to keep affecting you, right? When I was young and I faced that racism, do you think that like, like when I stored it in my heart that that was fun? That's a good thing? That in other incidents that came up in my life and I got re-traumatized, do you think I was happy about that? No. <laughs> it was terrible. It's a sickness that needs to be healed in my life. I suffer from so much rejection in my life, from times that I was younger. Yeah, kids who would come up to me and be like, hey, <laughs> how do you see out of those eyes? You know, I was like, what in the world are you talking about? They're like, your eyes are so small. How do you see out of that? And they may not have meant anything of it, but I just always knew I was different. And when the kids didn't want to play with me, or when the girls didn't like me, and when they would like, you know, you know, kind of point at me and laugh, and I don't know, maybe they weren't laughing at me, but it sure felt like it. When I tried to hang out with the cool kids, and they ditched me, you know, they, they, they like all went to the mall, and they just forgot to tell me where they were meeting. I stored all of that away. I hid it in my heart. And then later, more things started to happen. There'd be times where I'd be at church, and a pastor would yell at me. Or there was a time when uh, I was planning a, a mission trip when I was a youth pastor, and the EM pastor um, yelled at me in the middle of the airport because he was like, you failed. Like, you didn't plan this trip well. And what he didn't know and probably you know, just didn't care was that whole week before the mission trip, I didn't sleep. Because I was just thinking about all the things that I might forget. And I was just trying to plan so well. And it was my first mission trip I ever planned. I forgot some things. I didn't plan it super well because I didn't know any better. And he's sitting there reaming me in the middle of the airport. And I just felt like I was a little kid again. I felt that rejection. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And still to this day, when, when I get corrected or when people criticize the ministry, I'm not saying that that's always a bad thing but I become really small again. I start remembering all of the rejection, all the hurt that I ever experienced. And I don't remember it like all of the memories flash in my head. I just feel these things. I feel lonely. I, I feel like I want to run away, right? I feel all of this pain, and it just comes out of me. Jesus isn't looking at me and saying, shape up, get better. You need to sacrifice more. He's looking at me with mercy. But this is the thing. When those things come out, it's very, very easy to be like, no, 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 Jesus, look over there. See, I'm not as bad as that person. See, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I serve you. I'm, I'm at church. I'm a pastor, right? I'm praising you. I'm doing all these things. And Jesus is like, what I want is your hearts. I don't want you to hide behind your religious observance. I want you. Which is easier? I'm telling you, the world and religion, they've done the same thing. This is too hard to deal with. So we either say everything doesn't matter, it's all cool, God doesn't care anyways, or we're, we're, we just hide it, we deny it. We act like everything is fine. 
or we only focus on the sins that either other people are doing or are somewhat manageable for us. But the real hurt, the real trauma, mm, we just push it deep. Every time it comes out, we're like, no, no one could ever see this. So friends, um, what do we do about this? How can we be healed? Well, friends, I I think that there's a lot that we need to do. Um, We're going to focus a lot this semester on how to actually heal that. You know, we're going to go deep, and there's a lot of stuff that God has given us, right? There are spiritual disciplines. There are things that saints have been doing through the ages that, unfortunately, we have lost. (laughs) We've lost a a great tradition of healing, right? Because this is what Jesus wants. He's not here to wag his finger at you and say, you've got to measure up to here. Just try harder. He's come to heal you. And until you heal these things in your heart, just trying harder, it's going to be like just wiping the deck of that ship that is flooding inside, right? It's not going to fix anything. It's like that dead, uh, you know, that, that whitewashed tomb where you're just trying to make it look really shiny. But on the inside, you've got to clean that out, right? We have to learn how to clean that out. There's something um, that uh, uh, many Christians have been doing uh, for really like hundreds, thousands of years, um, something that we've lost, especially in the Protestant world. Um, it's called the prayer of examine. And it is based in large part on Psalm 139. Psalm 139, if you guys remember, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. We already talked about a few weeks ago this idea of our tendency to hide from God, how silly that is, because God already knows, right? But God wants to search even deeper. It is silly for us to try to hide, but really, we're hiding from ourselves. We think that if we don't acknowledge it, that somehow it makes it okay. Maybe God doesn't know because we fooled ourselves. But God knows even when we've tried to forget. God sees you and he searches you. And he's not searching you so he can judge you. I was saying this to the praise team. Jesus did not come to blast you for your sin because he's mad at you, right? God isn't mad at you. Do you know how I know this? Because God wouldn't have sent Jesus. He would have sent an avenging angel, right? He would have come, and he would have come to, you know, bust some heads. But instead, instead, he sent this humble son of a carpenter who was there and touching lepers and hanging out with tax collectors. And he was there with all of these common people, loving them, right? He desires mercy, not sacrifice. He shows mercy. And he gave the sacrifice of his life in order to show you that, right? That is who Jesus is. And so God already knows, but it's not to judge you. It is not to make you feel bad or make you feel uh, uh, less than. All of that makes you hide more, by the way. Jesus wants to bring you into the light. And so the prayer of examine is about trying to illuminate the things that we have hidden. There are a few different steps if you want to try this. Um, they say a prayer of examine takes about 20 minutes. Um, and these are some steps, some recommended steps uh, that I found for a prayer of examine. Number one is to pray for light, right? To remember everything that we just said. God already knows your heart. 
So just ask for God to reveal, God to shine light in your life where there might be darkness. Second thing is to give thanks, right? Because I think a lot of times we feel this energy of like, you know, we feel bad. We're like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And by the way, God already knows that you don't measure up, right? And yeah, there are things in your life that are less than ideal. But it, it happened. Whatever has happened in your life has already happened. And to just give thanks for what God has done for you in the midst of your imperfect life. Because then you can face your imperfect life. You don't have to run from your imperfect life. You don't have to act like it's not perfect, right? You can just say, God, thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the hardship. Thank you for the the, the screw-ups, right? Because I can learn from that. And I can experience your grace and mercy and your healing, right? And then the third thing is to reveal the day. And this is really where uh, uh, three and four is uh, where the examine is really about. That's the work of the examine. It's looking back on the day and thinking about, you know, what happened? What was good? Where did you experience God? Where, where were you just kind of like, you just kind of went, you know, semi-conscious through the day. You just slept walk through that part. Why? Why is that? And, and you just kind of like let the light of God shine on that. You could do this through journaling, right, to remember what happened. You know, how many of you like journaling? Okay, I see a couple of hands. How many people don't like journaling? All right, some people are, didn't vote. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't like journaling because I don't like to remember what I did, right? Because a lot of times I feel bad about what I did or what I didn't do, right? I think about all the stuff I should have done. And, and I don't know, like I don't journal, but I keep checklists around. And I have checklists where it's been six months and I haven't done something. I don't want to think about that. I want to think about how I procrastinated again, Right? But in the light of Christ, we can do that and just say, hey, God, you still love me and you still accept me. And I'm just going to face it in the light of Christ and say, okay, I did this. I didn't do this. I could have done this better, right? And and number four, face your shortcomings, right? I could have done this better. This wasn't ideal. This is where I wasn't merciful. This is where I lost my temper. And this is what I want you guys to start paying attention to. In your small groups this week, you can talk about this if you are ready to. Again, we're not forcing you uh, to be vulnerable uh, to a point where you're not ready, if it's not going to be helpful. But this is where the gold is going to be. What is hiding in your heart, you are going to find by what is repeating in your life. Are there certain patterns that you're noticing? You get angry about similar things again and again and again. That is not an isolated incident. That is something that is hiding in your heart. Right? And this is one of the things, it's really painful. If you live with other people, if you live with a roommate, if you live with a, a husband or a wife, if you live with parents, if you live with kids, and you really, 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 really want to be healed, and you're ready for some honesty, ask them. <laughs> ask them, what are the things that repeat in my life, those shortcomings? Where do I keep losing my temper? Where am I really unpleasant? Where do I get really stressed out? Right? And those are the kinds of things where you're going to start. I mean, it's like gold. Because as God pulls those things out of you, and if you allow God to heal that, it's going to be like gold. It's going to be so good. So face your shortcomings in the light of Christ and look forward to the day to come. Friends, this is part of the reason why we don't like to touch the inside stuff because we don't think it can be healed. 
That's the secular world. They're like, hey, just accept me as I am. It's no big deal because I'm not changing anyways. We've given up. We've given up because we don't think we can change. But that is not the story of the Christ follower. What we know is that all these disciples, they had all these issues, right? I mean, like, look at Peter. Look at how many times he would just stick his foot in his mouth. I mean, look at the things that repeat in Peter's life. Where he keeps just proclaiming boldly, like, like he's almost like showing off, and he's like, Jesus, I will never deny you. Then he denies Jesus, right? When, when other people are around and he faces that pressure, he wilts. But you guys know how it ended for Peter, don't you? Peter was pretty much the chief apostle. You know, the Catholic Church considers him the first pope. He was the rock on which the church was founded. His testimony of faith, first and foremost. But it was also his faithfulness. And he gave his life for the gospel in the end. Do you think Peter was healed? I think so. I don't think he was the same scared disciple for his entire life. And you don't have to be either. There's going to be things in your life that are going to take time. But friends, if you have been walking this path with Christ long enough, you know some things take a long time to heal. But you probably already have seen some things already begin to heal. Look forward to tomorrow. Healing is coming. Your salvation is coming. Can I get an amen? We have hope, a living hope in God. God will meet you where you are, but he loves you enough that he doesn't want to keep you there. He wants you to get better. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be like him. And those things that used to bother you and used to bring you down and used to be dead things in your life will come to life in the spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Friends, we're going to go into our time of communion. And in communion, we remember that Jesus has come to unite us with God. We are not perfect, right? But Jesus' invitation is not about our readiness or perfection. It is about his gracious invitation. So Jesus shared uh, one meal, one final meal, with his friends, his disciples, but also with those who would betray him, with those whose faith would fall short. And he took bread and he broke it. And this is the body of Christ, which is given for you. And towards the end of the meal, he took a cup. And it would have been wine, ours is grape juice. It would have been the color of blood. This is the blood of Christ, which is shed for the forgiveness of many sins. And friends, whenever we have gathered, we have taken of these elements to remember what Jesus did for us. His body was broken. He went to the cross for all those who would fall short, for all those who keep screwing up. We have all kinds of baggage and wounds hurts. We keep screwing up and we keep sinning. We keep hurting other people. We keep projecting on other people. But God keeps forgiving us and he keeps inviting us graciously to this table to be healed yet again. So friends, let's pray for these elements that they can become to us the body and blood of Christ. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your bread, for your cup. May it become to us the body of Christ is broken for this hurting world and the blood of Christ which is shed 
for this sinful world. We need you, God. We cannot do this alone. And we thank you, God, for your gracious invitation. It is not because of what we have done, but it's because of your generous initiation, initiative to reach out to us first, even when we were still sinning, and to say, come, take my hand. Come to this table. Come all who want to receive newness of life and forgiveness and healing. It is here for you. Come and be united to the Father. Thank you, Lord, for this invitation. And may we receive it with grace, with thankful hearts, with open hearts, with vulnerable hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.